0: Welcome to Destiny Spirit Church. Praise God. Well, it's a great joy to be back here with you guys. I'd like Pastor Donna, to please pass these out, distribute them. The first page there, Reinhold Niebuhr, he was a great American theologian, one of the greatest theologians that's ever lived, a highly esteemed man. And that's a factoid sheet on him, those first two pages. But I don't want you to read that till after the meeting. What we're going to read is the prayer and the principles on page 3 and 4. Uh, that's where we're going tonight. Um, and this is something I've been, uh, I've been involved in Pastor Rick Warren's Celebrate Recovery. It's recovery from A to Z. Uh, if you're going through divorce, bankruptcy, if you have a problem with addiction, if you have a problem with emotions, uh, any kind of a problem. Uh, it's A to Z, and uh, the, I work in the 12-step program, and it's just really been a great blessing to my life. But before we begin, I, I'd like us to go to uh, Matthew chapter 6, please, Matthew chapter 6. Let's look here in Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 25, and we're going we're to read this passage. I've been living in the Sermon on the Mount all of these months, uh, really the last three years I've been living in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I'm convinced, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, that when Jesus went out and preached the gospel of the kingdom, that this is what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is. Matthew is the gospel to the Jews. And uh, Jesus is presented in Matthew as the king of the Jews. And when he preaches the gospel, he preaches the gospel of the kingdom. And he preaches the kingdom of God. He tells his disciples to go forth and preach the kingdom of God. The best definition of the kingdom of God is the reign of God. R-E-I-G-N. The reign or rule of God. Uh, That's all it is. The kingdom of God is the rule of God of my life. And when I am under God's rule, I have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, and a whole lot more. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink it's not this outward external realm but it's righteousness peace and joy all of those are internal things they manifest outwardly righteousness manifests outwardly in my conduct but it's something on the inside of me i I like a sign i read uh, somewhere in nashville a while back i've lived there for over twenty years and finally i'm actually getting to know my town because i've been traveling so much i didn't even know a lot of my town but uh... I saw a sign that they had it said, it said this, it said, it doesn't matter what happens. Things will happen to you. Things will happen around you. But the only thing that matters is what happens inside you. See, Jesus said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Lo here, lo there. For lo, the kingdom of God is where? Within you. So it's It's internal. Kingdom of God is an internal, it's the rule of God in my life. Now, when we pray, thy kingdom come, as in Matthew 6, we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying for the manifestation of the reign of God over all the nations. And someday, Jesus will rule this planet, literally, I believe, and uh, govern this world, literally, as uh, the earth's prince of peace. But it has to happen in this earth, first. And I am convinced that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' way of teaching me how to let God rule my life. And it's amazing to me when I study commentaries, it's it's real, for one thing, like D.L. Moody said, it's amazing how much light the Bible sheds on these commentaries. (laughs) That a lot of commentators don't even believe that the Sermon on the Mount applies to Christians in the church. There's a whole realm of dispensational thinking that says Jesus was speaking to the Jews under the dispensation of the law. I don't know, you know, how they got that because, uh, well, I could just spend the whole, I could spend several nights just on that because to me, to me it's like they never read the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but, but, you know, Jesus tells us to do a lot of things in here uh, that are the new covenant because he said, you've heard it said in old time, such and such, but I say to you, That's right. now this or that. You know, in the old time, you shall not kill. But I say to you, whoever is angry at his brother without a cause shall be liable to judgment. You heard it in old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever lust in his heart looks upon a woman to lust in his heart has committed adultery already in his heart with her. Uh, so Jesus took the outward law, the external, and what did he do? He, he internalized yes. it. He put it inside. And th- this is part of the new covenant of Jeremiah 31. There's a new covenant, the Lord says, that's coming. In those days when I will take my laws and write them on their hearts. Hebrews 8 quotes that. Hebrews 8, 13. And that, I will write my law on their heart and upon their mind. And it will not be necessary to say, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to them and will forgive them their iniquities. Do you, see, do you see what I'm I'm attempting to say now? So this is an internal kingdom, which is the reign of God. And when we say Jesus is Lord, what we are saying is Jesus is my ruler, my king my master and uh, we 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 have a common saying in the church make jesus lord Uh, but uh, peter says in acts chapter 2 therefore let all the house of israel know assuredly that god has made this same jesus whom you crucified both lord and christ see god made jesus lord nowhere in the bible are we told to make him lord if god did it we can't make him or unmake him lord god made jesus lord We're told to confess Jesus is Lord, which means to acknowledge with our mouth. See, the world won't acknowledge with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, but whoever acknowledges Jesus is Lord is speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because God made Jesus Lord, and the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to that fact. Praise God. And when I say Jesus is Lord, why don't we all just go ahead let's agree with god what does god say he made jesus what lord Lord. see see lord isn't jesus first name a lot of christians think you know his name is lord jesus christ lord is his title jesus is his name christ is his office as messiah christos messiah but but lord is the title of our sovereign our master our king Lord Jesus Christ. Let's say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now say Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. Just like in old England, they would say Lord Byron, Lord uh, William, you know, Lord Henry. Uh, Lord was the title and then the name of the person. How many understand the, yeah. the comparison? Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word for Lord is Kyrios. K u-r-i-o-s and means sovereign ruler means absolute monarch one who has all power all authority over his subjects means dictator mm-hmm. jesus is dictator mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not uh... how many of you know that he acts as though he's boss <laughs> he acts as though we're his that we're his property that he bought us and paid for us with his blood and and, we, you know, we were so Americanized. We said, well, don't I have a right? Isn't it democracy? No, it's not. No, you are dead. Your life is hid in Christ, in God. You don't have any rights. Dead men don't have rights. Dead men don't vote. At least they're not supposed to. <laughs> is that right? You don't have a vote. Jesus rules and reigns. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David to order and establish it from henceforth forever, Isaiah 9, 6. Okay, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, There shall be no end. Government speaks of Lord Jesus Christ. Government speaks of the authority of Jesus Christ. This is the increase of his government and what? Peace. Government and peace. There shall be no end. In other words, the peace is to increase as his authority increases. What does Paul say in Romans 14 17? The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness say it out loud everybody righteousness, righteousness peace, 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 peace and joy in the holy spirit notice peace follows righteousness or look in hebrews seven verses one and two uh, the writer of hebrews says it's the same thing he says that melchizedek king of salem was priest of the most high god and melch it means king zedek or zadok means righteousness so melchizedek As he goes on to say in Hebrews 7, verse 2, first being by interpretation, king of righteousness. After that also, king of peace, since he was from Salem, Salem, Jerusalem, city of peace, Jerusalem, his city of peace. Mm -hmm. Okay. Notice that the writer of Hebrews says, first, righteousness, after that, peace. Praise God. Do you want the peace of God? I've been living under, in a lot of strife the last number of years in my marriage and in my personal life. I'm living in a lot of strife. <clears throat> and the absence of my wife did not m- mean the presence of peace. You know, although it was a lot more peaceful, as Solomon said. <sighs> it's better to dwell alone in the corner of the roof than in a large house with an angry and contentious woman. The word of God is true. Amen. The word of God is true. <laughs> but I still had, a, I had to have a lot of God's authority increase in my life. And by the way, I did divorce her. She left me. I would never have divorced her. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> the authority of God had to increase in my life in order for the peace of God to rule in my heart. Because the New Testament actually teaches there are two kinds of peace. There, there's peace with God that we have when we're saved, and it never fluctuates or changes. It's always the same. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I have peace with God because I have been justified by faith. I've been made righteous by faith, by faith in Jesus' finished work at Calvary. Praise God. I have, I have peace with God there's no longer a war conflict between me and god legally but the peace with god which is a legal peace it's like the signing of an armistice nations that are at war now at peace okay the peace with god entitles me but does not guarantee me the peace of god the peace of god is the other kind of peace the new testament talks about The very peace that God himself enjoys. And think what kind of peace that that, that God has. Does God ever worry about the future? No, tomorrow to him is like yesterday when it's past. Nothing ever surprises God. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to him? (laughs) He never learns anything because he's perfect in knowledge or complete in knowledge. So he never learns anything new. Is that right? Yes. Tomorrow is like yesterday when it is past. He inhabits eternity, Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. So God inhabiting eternity, God knows absolute peace. He Sits on his throne. Someone said, God's still on his throne. He never got off. He's not about to get off. I mean, you know, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Praise God. The Lord rules and reigns. And he knows perfect peace. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them that hate him flee before him. Let them be driven uh, like chaff before the wind, before the spirit of the Lord blowing them. Because, friend, God enjoys perfect peace. and, And Paul tells us in Philippians 4 verse 6 and 7 be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your the Amplified says let your every request and need be made known to God let your every request be made known to God and notice just to simplify that Paul says don't worry about anything but pray about everything he says be anxious for nothing so that's don't worry about anything and if you, are you saying, Paul, then I'm not to have any kind of concern that there is no problems. No, he said there are needs. There are legitimate concerns. There are speeding tickets and overheating cars. But don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your every request be made known unto God. And what happens? Verse 7, Philippians 4. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which goes beyond and surpasses the whole realm of human comprehension, will keep your heart and mind. Keep your heart and mind. Now we're living in the days when Jesus said, Men's hearts shall fail them for fear, for looking after those things that are coming on the earth. Is that right? How many of you believe that we're living in stress-filled days? Bridges collapsing, tragedies happening, people being murdered and killed, earthquakes in many places. I mean, you know, we have to be in the last days. And Jesus said about our time, men's hearts will fail them for fear, for looking for those things that are coming on earth. But look in Matthew chapter 6 now and I want to read our text beginning in verse 25. And I had to tell Jesus several months ago I did not believe this. I had to honestly admit in in the 12-step program we honestly admit our feelings to God and our inner beliefs, our core beliefs. We admit our core beliefs to God and I admitted my core belief that I didn't believe this. Okay, therefore I say to you do not worry about your life. I didn't believe that because I worried about my bills. If I believed it, I wouldn't have. So I didn't believe this. Now, Mahatma Gandhi said about this passage of scripture, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that it's the greatest piece of literature in the earth. He said the greatest teaching ever given, and he studied Buddha, Confucius, everyone. Mahatma Gandhi studied everybody. He said it was the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth, the Sermon on the Mount which he memorized, and during his 40-day fast, he would quote over and over as he walked in his peaceful rebe- This That was the basis for his peaceful rebellion against the British Empire in India. How many did not know that? was the Sermon on the Mount, his passive resistance. He based it on the Sermon on the Mount, and that's amazing when you... And he said, it's the greatest thing. So uh, people said to him, well, are, are you then a Christian? And he said, well, he said, I have never met a Christian. I've never met one. Now, he met many Anglicans, priests, bishops, missionaries, the British Empire, ruled over India. He met many church people, but he said, if I ever met a Christian, I would know it because he would not worry about his life what he would eat, and what he would drink. <laughs> that was his litmus test. I'd have to say if Mahatma Gandhi knew me, I wouldn't. He wouldn't consider me a Christian. Most of my Christian life, I have not obeyed this scripture at all. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Do not worry. I was raised in the church, The so people would get up every Wednesday night, I'm just worried and praying about so-and-so. I'm just praying and worrying about such and such. I'm just so worried about this. I'm worried about that. I thought worry was something that all the real spiritual saints did. It was, must be one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I, I got saved, started reading through the New Testament, came Galatians 5. And behold, worry wasn't among love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Worry's not in the list. Jesus said, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on he's not saying go around naked is he he's just saying don't worry about it he's not saying don't work he says don't worry he's dealing with your attitude is not life more than food and the body more than clothing look at the birds of the air for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Your heavenly Father feeds those birds, and you're worth more than they are. So I'll I'll always have food to eat, because God's going to take care of my needs. He knows that I need it. He's going to give it to me. I shouldn't worry about it. I am not to worry about it. I am sinning when I worry about it. See, if Jesus said, do not do this, and I disobey. I'm in direct disobedience to Lord Jesus Christ, my master and king. Then I wonder why he doesn't bless me. He so said Jesus is Lord. and, he, and he, he's, I mean, this is more than giving you permission not to worry. Wouldn't you like to have permission not to be worried about anything? Never worry about your kids, never worry about your future, never worry about your bank account. Wouldn't you like to have permission? You don't have permission, you have a commandment. Jesus commands you not to worry. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about these things. Don't worry about your needs. Now, do you understand why Mahatma Gandhi said, I've never met a Christian? (laughs) (laughs) Because Christians are some of the most worrisome people in the earth. That's true. They are. He said, Jesus says, look here. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry? Do you hear that word over and over? Worry, 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 worry. And everything he says about worry is negative. Don't do it. It doesn't help you grow. You can't add one cubit to your stature by worrying. It doesn't help you grow in God. It doesn't help you grow in faith. It doesn't help you increase in finances to worry. It doesn't help you to increase in health by worry. In fact, it does just the opposite. Worry will have negative effects on your physical body. Worry will produce emotions and release chemicals in your bloodstream that you don't need released. Jesus says, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even... Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Notice that worry is a symptom of someone who has little faith. Now, Mahatma Gandhi was wrong to, to judge that there are no Christians simply because everyone he knew that claimed to be a Christian worried. And did other things that were contrary to the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he had a, had a valid point. But uh, Jesus did not say that we had no faith if we worried. He said we have little faith. So we are true Christians if we worry. <clears throat> but we are, we are small in stature. And we're not going to grow. We're not going to add one cubit to our stature. Don't you want to grow up in God? Yeah. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? See, I don't don't want to worry because I want to mature. I want to grow up. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Little faith. Therefore, verse 31, read it with me. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. That's what pagans seek. For your heavenly Father knows... That you need all these things. Yes, don't you have needs? Yes, you have needs. You need clothing. You need food. You need shelter. they are necessities of life. Your Heavenly Father knows that. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. He knows that. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And just a few weeks ago, friends, I was looking at that, and it hit me so strong, I was reading it uh, in the Fenton or one other translation. Seek first the rule of God in your life and His righteousness manifesting in it. Seek the rule, seek first the rule of God, the reign of God in your life and His righteousness manifesting in it. I want His righteousness manifesting in my life. Praise God. And His righteousness is manifesting in my life. And Jesus said, that's what you're to be concerned about, not worried about, but that is to be your your passion, is seeking first the kingdom. Which, once again, don't think of the kingdom ecclesiastically. Don't think of the kingdom outwardly, Think of the kingdom, not externally, but internally. Think of the kingdom as the rule of God over me. The rule of God over my thought life. The rule of God over my emotions. The rule of God over my my eating habits. The rule of God over my entire life. The rule of God over, if I'm married, it, my, my sex life. if I'm If I'm single, over my chastity. The rule of God over my words. I want to seek first... The rule of God and his righteousness manifesting in my life. And then what does Jesus promise? And all these things shall be added. (laughs) Added. I I love it about God. He's able to multiply your seed sown. And he adds to the fruit of your righteousness. He's in adding and multiplying. The devil's in subtracting and dividing. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they were added to the church daily, such as should be saved. God's into adding. God knows how to add. God knows how to multiply. God knows how to increase his government and peace in your life, in my life, in our lives. Hallelujah. And that's what I've been working on. People say, what, are, what have you been doing? I've been seeking first the reign of God in my life. Now a pastor says to me, well, don't you really want to get out and preach here? A few months ago, I said, no, I don't care if I preach again or not. He said, I don't, I don't like that. I said, you've never studied the principle of surrender. That's why you don't like it. Because Jesus said, I don't do my own will. I don't seek my own will. I seek the will of him who sent me. As he speaks, I speak. Whatever he says, I repeat. Whatever he does is what I do. And that's how I do the Father's works. And I do his will. John 5.30 and it really bothered him. He couldn't, he couldn't believe it. He said, I, I just can't believe that you have no desire. Don't you feel like you just have to preach? No, I'm not addicted to preaching. I'm not addicted to anything in Jesus' name. I'm not addicted to worry anymore. That's been my main addiction. I've been a worry addict since the age of three. Then I was addicted to approval probably by the age of six. And the approval addiction was strong in my life. And I got addicted to food. Um, in probably about the age of 11 or 12, got addicted to lust in about the age of 14. So many addictions. But praise God, I stand before you tonight, and I am so glad to say to you that God's righteousness is increasing in its manifestation in my life. True righteousness, peace, and joy. Do you really want to be happy? Be holy. Be holy. Do you really want inward peace? Be pure. 2 Peter 3.11, be blameless that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blemish. So, So notice that peace and purity go together. Praise God. As the increase of his authority in my life manifests more and more, praise God. Guess what happens? I have more peace. And all the money in the world can't buy that. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett—they can buy a, a dime, an ounce worth of peace. I'm not saying they don't have. I don't know their spiritual state. They're, they seem to be very philanthropic and generous, and I, I appreciate that they don't hoard their wealth. And, and I, you know, they have Warren Buffett especially seems to be a man of much uh, character and integrity, as far as I can see. But but I don't know either man. But but I know this: that all the money in the world, all the money in the world, cannot buy an ounce of peace righteousness must first be established before peace can be experienced. Righteousness must first be established. And we're made righteous by the grace of God. Let me emphasize that. That's why the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, as they begin their epistles say, grace and peace be unto you. Grace and peace. Because notice that peace follows grace because we're made righteous through the grace of God. And when I'm, I'm speaking of, of, of working here tonight, I'm not talking about legalism works or self-efforts. Rather, I'm talking about cooperating with God's initiatives in my heart. God initiates every good work in me. Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. He initiates every good thing in me. See, and why, why don't we believe John 15.5? Jesus said, without me, you can do hardly anything. Is that what he said? No. Well, most of you agreed with me. Yeah, that's right. That's what he said. Without me, you can do hardly anything. <laughs> without me, you can do everything. Is that what he said? No. What did he say? Without me, you can do nothing. And what is nothing? What does it mean in the Greek? Nothing. nothing. <laughs> Zero. Nada. Zilch. Nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Through Christ, I can do everything. Philippians 4.13. But without him, I can do nothing. So why do I keep trying to do it? Because self is my big enemy. Let me tell you, let me tell you what, the, the works I'm speaking of are a synergism. Okay, you, see, you, see, you know, some Christians want God to work monergistically. They want God to do it all. Monergism means God acts alone, apart from man. Sometimes God does that when he pours out judgments on the earth. Sometimes he sends huge revivals, and he does it monergistically. There sometimes can just be a suddenly that comes in your life that you weren't even praying or expecting. How many of you have had that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had people go from drunk to saved in like 30 seconds. So It's just a, it's just a miracle of God. It's a monergistic work of God but sanctification is never monergistic it is synergistic okay monergistic is m-o-n-e-r g-y-s-t-i-c monergistic which means to act alone where god acts alone but synergistic s-y-n-e-r-g-i-s-t-i-c it means together with the, the e-r-g erg is from the greek word ergon which is the greek word for energy so God energizes me and I work with that energy and then the fruits of righteousness are produced. As Paul says so clearly, Romans, he said that the, that the, uh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. How many of you know God's not against the Old Testament law? The, the ceremonial part of it, Christ fulfilled. The sacrificial part of it, Christ fulfilled. But the moral part of it? He wants it to be fulfilled in us. Jesus said, do not think in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to what? Fulfill. 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 Say, fulfill your, your, your law in me, Lord. <laughs> Write it on my heart. Let righteousness be manifested in my life. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Synergism means I am working with God, God is working with me, God initiates, I cooperate. Say that, God initiates, I cooperate. And this is Philippians 2, uh, 10 through 13, where he says, You've always obeyed in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that works in you, both to will and to do. Of his good pleasure to to want to do it and then to be able to do it it is God that works in you so you work out what God is working in that's what synergism is I work out what God works in Mm -hmm. praise God I cooperate with God and that is the increase of the righteousness of God well uh, Matthew chapter 6 notice Jesus promised Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God, the reign of God in your life, and his righteousness manifesting in it. Say, the kingdom of the rule of God in my life, and his righteousness manifesting in it. And all these things shall be added to me. I therefore do not worry. Say it again, I therefore do not worry what did David say leads to evil only to evil Psalm 37 he said fret not yourself for it leads only to evil doing what is fretting worry, worry. worry. it's the old English for worry worry leads to what evil, evil. and Christians wonder why they live defeated lives now I, my beloved Jesus lived 24 7 with 12 disciples for three and a half years. It's over a thousand days. They saw him. How many of you know in a thousand-day period of your life, any chunk of a thousand days here or a chunk there, or a chunk? I mean, you could pick out a thousand perfect days over the course of seventy years, but take any chunk of a group of thousand days, consecutive days, and you're going to have every kind of human emotion. You're going to have every kind of experience. You're going to have every kind of crisis that isn't common to man. And guess what? In the world, you shall have tribulation. I love the first first sentence in The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. The Road Less Traveled that came out in the early 80s. Life is difficult. That is true. And Christians are always looking for an easy way. They want a crown of glory without a crown of thorns. Life is difficult, and there will always be challenges. The only pl- time when I will escape problems is when I'm in heaven. As long as I am on earth, there will be challenges, difficulties, problems... Because my father uses them to train me so I can become skillful in righteousness. He redeems my mistakes. He even redeems my evil, my sins. Jacob said, bless the Lord who redeems my soul out of all evil. I told Pastor Don, we'd together usually once a week. And I said to him, I said, I was praying Saturday morning. The Lord said to me, now son, I want you to go back and start ministering again. Go out once a month. And I told him, he just got so excited. Oh, he said, the body of Christ now a benefit. He said, the body of Christ needs your gift. You're such a blessing. I said, Don, you're, you're, you're so full of crap. <laughs> Pastor, I love you, but you're, you're just full of crap. The body of Christ doesn't need me. I've been around for years and years, and I've watched the body of Christ continue to go down. <laughs> I've been out there toiling and spinning. And, and I say that, you know, I haven't seen the glory of the Lord so great. I mean, you know, let, let's be realistic. God is dependent on no human. He, was only, he only placed dependency on one man, and that man was the man Christ Jesus, and he perfectly satisfied the Father. I am dispensable to God, not indispensable. I said, you know, I'm only going to go because God said to go. God wanted to break me of preaching for money, and I told Pastor Donna, I said, I want to come, but I don't want to receive any money, and I want to, I want to pay my way on the, on the, to come and preach at your church because I want to plant a seed that I'm doing this as unto Christ. I never really was a money grabber like many evangelists are accused of being, but, you know, there's that monetary thing in the way that we think that God has been delivering me from. Has it been easy? No. <laughs> Has it been real? Yes. <laughs> is God good all the time? Hallelujah! Praise God! When you walk with the Lord, you don't get bored singing Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you know you don't get you don't get bored when you walk with the Lord. Praise God. Okay, now uh, go to uh, John chapter fourteen. Jesus is. Um, speaking to his disciples the night he leaves, he knows that he'll never be with them again in the same way. Because, see, this is during the Last Supper, John 14. And Jesus knows that he is not going to be with these disciples anymore uh, as he has been for the last thousand days, plus thousand plus days, 1,200 days, whatever it was. I haven't figured it out. However many days it was, that he was with them three and a half years. But he's going to die. He's going to go to the cross, and he's going to die. But this is his family. Remember, remember on one occasion when uh, Jesus was speaking, and some people came to Jesus and said, uh, teacher, behold, your mother and your brothers stand outside, and they desire to speak with you because they thought Jesus had gone crazy. (laughs) His own brothers didn't believe in him at that time. Later they did and died for him. But they didn't believe in him at that time. They thought he'd gone crazy. Jesus answered saying, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers and sisters? Mm -hmm. Then looking upon his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother, my brother, and my sisters. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. How many of you know I just quoted scripture? (laughs) A lot of you look at me so surprised. Wow. Like, like, Like on another occasion, a woman said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast you nursed from. But he answered her and said, Yea, rather, blessed is he who hears the word of God and does it. Blessed is he who hears the word of God and does it. That's who's blessed. We're not blessed when we just hear the word of God. You might think you're getting blessed now. You're you're getting strengthened, but you're not blessed. You're only blessed when you do what you hear tonight. When you practice Monday, what you heard tonight, you will be blessed. Blessed. It is the doer of the word that will be blessed in his deed. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James one twenty two. Now, uh, look here in John 14. Jesus is looking at his disciples. He's just eaten the Passover meal with them. His disciples are family to him. This is his family. Because they do the Father's will with him, right? So they're his family. Right? He's got half brothers and sisters. Right? And he's got a a literal mother and his natural uh, foster father, really, we would say, since Joseph had nothing to do with the conception, had passed away years before, according to Bible scholars. Now, Jesus wants to leave an inheritance for his family. And there's one commodity that he possesses that he's not going to need anymore when he gets to heaven. See in heaven there's no stress. In heaven there are no enemies. There's no wars. There's no unmet needs. In heaven the weather is always perfect. There's no storms, there's no earthquakes. No fires. In heaven everything is perfect all the time. It's perfect peace. And so Jesus has been among them in every kind of conceivable situation and circumstance and they have watched him and they have never seen him lose his peace not when the pharisees question him not when his mother thinks he's nuts not when the uh, scribes and the sadducees rail at him what did Pilate marvel at about jesus when he stood before him Pilate had tried many men for crimes, right? Is that fair to say? That was his day-to-day. He he did trials, and he condemned many men to death. What did he marvel at? As the prophet Isaiah said, as a lamb before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Pilate marveled that he spoke not. Pilate marveled at Jesus' serenity. And friend, that is the the key to the life of Jesus that I've noticed uh, the last two years since I came home to an empty house, and and was just shocked to find yeah you know, I was totally betrayed, deceived, and and it devastated me emotionally and psychologically, and and just every way. And I, I made some poor choices and did some wrong things uh, because I was I, I was just in a just completely upside down my world was just shattered now I've had to since then realize the scripture is true that whoever falls on the rock will be broken to pieces but on whomsoever it shall fall it will grind him to powder when you fall on the rock the Lord is your rock and you fall on him he breaks you to pieces but it's mercy when he falls on you it's judgment he grinds you to powder So I I have fallen on the rock. And what's happened? I've been broken to pieces. And then he's putting the pieces together. And he's remaking me. He says, Follow me, and I will make you. So he is remaking me. Hallelujah. Jesus is remaking me. The thing that most impressed Pontius Pilate is when Jesus was on trial for his life, he was serene. When Jesus confronted literal storms or figurative storms, He was serene. What would He speak to raging waves? Peace, be still. What would He speak to fearful hearts? Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. What would He do to people who were demonized and tormented their minds? He would loose and set them free, and they'd be filled with peace. Hallelujah. And the disciples have watched Jesus day in, day out, and not once Have they seen him worry? Now do you think Jesus could be up there teaching them. Do not worry about this. Do not worry about that. Do not worry about the other. If he himself worried. These guys lived with him. They knew he practiced it. If Mahatma Gandhi had met Jesus. He would say he's a real Christian. (laughs) (laughs) He's a real Christian. Why Mahatma Gandhi? Because he does not worry. He lives in serenity. Well, look here, John 14. Jesus is going to leave an inheritance that he's going to bequeath to his disciples. And it's verse number 27. He's telling them that he's going to leave them. He's telling them that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to help them. But he's telling them that he is leaving them an inheritance. Say inheritance. 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 What is he he leaving them? Verse 27. Peace. Peace. Peace I what? Leave with you. Why is Jesus leaving it with them? Because he's not going to need it where he's going. Because the whole place is full of it. There is no strife in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no dis-ease. Everything's in perfect ease in heaven. But here in earth, we really need to have the peace of God. Because it's not an automatic given as it is in heaven. So Jesus said, guys... I, I, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going away, I'll be back in the Holy Spirit in a couple of months or less, but, 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 I, but I want you to know that I'm going away to the Father in my physical body. I'm going to be crucified, raised from the dead, and I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father and sit down, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and then, I, then I'm going to be in, in you through the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to leave you in an inheritance that will be yours after my death, and it is peace. What you've seen me live in, walk in, and enjoy, this awesome serenity, I'm giving it to you. (laughs) 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 Hallelujah. Looky there. Look, John 14. Oh, this thrilled me when I saw it. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. My friend, if I had a $20 bill in my pocket, and I said, my 20 I give to you, it would go from me to you. And you would then have my 20. Because I gave it to you. It would be your right to claim it. He gave it to me. I have his 20. Jesus did not say, I'm going to increase your peace. He said, I'm going to give you my peace. My peace, I give. He said I didn't say, I'm going to loan you my peace every now and then. And, and you're going to enjoy peace some days. You know, most days you're really going to be a mess. You know, the devil says, boo, you're going to jump, you know, (laughs) you know, you get a bill, you can't pay it. You're going to worry. You're going to fret. You're going to say, God, how, where? And then it's something, all these men of faith, men of God, believe God for miracles and get on TV and beg and beg and beg for money. And, you know, and if they can't, like other used to say, if I can't believe for money, how could I possibly believe for these great miracles? (laughs) Hey. There's some logic there. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Now let, let me give it to you out of the Amplified Bible. Okay, now you, you look, John 14, 27. And I'm going to read it from the Amplified. Peace I leave with you. My own peace I now give and bequeath to you. I now give and bequeath to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. See, that's something I can do if Jesus told me to do it. I can stop allowing myself to be agitated and disturbed. Every morning when I get up, the first thing I do is get on my knees. And I pray for the knowledge of His will and the power to carry it out just for today. I don't pray about tomorrow. I don't pray about next week. I pray just for... At 2 o'clock this morning, I was on my knees praying for this day. In the morning, I'll be on my knees praying for that day. Monday, I'll be on my knees praying for that day. See, Jesus said, don't worry about the future. Each day has enough problems of its own. You you stay centered in the now. You stay centered in living in the moment. Praise God, because peace is always in the present tense. It's not something you get in the future. Hope is future, but peace is present. And Jesus said in the Amplified Bible, Stop allowing yourself to be agitated and disturbed, and do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. Do not permit yourself to be unsettled. If you get unsettled during the week on your job? Jesus said, stop it. (laughs) Well, that's when we're in church. Hey, it is not. It's when you're in life. This is the way Jesus lived. This is the kingdom of God. Stop allowing yourself to be agitated. Stop allowing yourself to be disturbed. Stop allowing yourself to be cowardly, intimidated. Stop it. Jesus said, I'm leaving you my very own peace, my own peace. I give and bequeath. See, that word bequeath in the Amplified, that, that's the inheritance. How many of you see Jesus is leaving us his inheritance? So the very peace that Jesus Christ had when he still the storm is mine. The very peace Jesus Christ had when he walked on the water is mine. The very peace Jesus had when he walked up to Lazarus' tomb is mine. Praise God. Any circumstance I face, any negative of life I face, I can have peace in the midst of the storm. Hallelujah. Jesus had so much peace he put his head on a pillow and slept in the boat during the storm. Because he first said to the disciples, let us go to the other side. And they woke him up, oh, they were all agitated and fearful. Oh, master, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind, then he rebuked them. (laughs) That's what it says. First he rebuked the wind, peace be still, be muzzled, be gagged, quiet. And then he rebuked them, oh, you have little faith. By the way, when Peter sank and Jesus lifted him back up, did he say, that's okay, Peter, we all get scared. Sometimes even I get scared myself. No, he's, what, 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 did Peter, what did Jesus say to Peter? He rebuked him. He saved him. Then he rebuked him. Read it in Matthew 14. He rebuked him immediately after he saved him and said, oh, you have little faith. There's only two people he ever committed for great faith and neither one of them were covenant people. One was a Roman, the other was a Syrophoenician. Neither one was a Hebrew. <laughs> Jesus even asked the question, When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Uh, Is that in your Bible, what I just said? Because I heard we know there's going to be this great marching army. And Jesus Jesus says, will I even find faith on the earth when I return? Wow. Wow Wowie zowie. Like my grandson says, wowie zowie. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Okay, Jesus left me an inheritance of peace. I claim it now. Why don't you claim it? I claim it. Now go with me to this prayer. Okay, that was the scripture for everything I want to say. Now I want to take you to this prayer. This prayer was written by Reinhold Niebuhr in uh, the 1920s at the conclusion of his sermon on practical Christianity. He was a pastor in Detroit, Michigan, and his church grew from 60 people to 700 people in the 1920s where he pastored for seven years. But that was partly due to the great boom in the economy in Detroit because of the motor uh, vehicle industry and uh, and uh, but he, uh, he, he was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom. read, read after the meeting tonight, tomorrow, sometime read uh, the uh, um, the two pages there on Reinhold Niebuhr's life. but he's, he was a great, a great Christian, uh, practical family man. Uh, a uh, Lover of his wife and his daughter, and uh, and and a great, brilliant thinker, and and he did a lot of good things. Uh, for a while, he kind of went left, and then he came kind of back right, and he came came back m- mainstream over the course of his entire life. And uh, but but he but he did a lot of wonderful things, and uh, and he was just very inspired. Uh, Hallmark cards came to him in the nineteen forties. They had gotten a copy of this sermon. His sermons were put into print. And they were circulated, and Hallmark Cards approached him and asked if they could take the first three lines from this prayer for serenity and call it the serenity prayer and uh, put his name on it and print it on a a greeting card. It's back in the 1940s, and they would pay him a royalty. And his response was this. If I put my name on that prayer, may God have mercy on my soul, for it did not come from me, it only came through me. So it was one of the few times in his life that he actually claimed inspiration. That he could tell it did not originate within him, but it came forth through him. Right? old Niebuhr refused it. He said, I will only grant you permission to print that prayer if you put the, word, the name anonymous underneath it. Because I cannot take the credit for what God has done. And the prayer became famous, and it was put in all the self-help groups: the the A A, the N A, the C A, the S A, the O A, the E A. I mean, you know, all the A's. Even Triple A has it. You know, uh, <laughs> on the wall in Triple A: God grant me the serenity. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, even Tony Soprano had his version: Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to hide the bodies well. (laughs) How many of you have heard this prayer? Okay, you've heard this prayer. And you didn't even know it was written by a Protestant minister, okay, a Christian minister of a church in Detroit in the 1920s. Okay, it was. It was at the conclusion of his sermon, Practical Christianity. And he was talking about... Living in peace. What I'm preaching to you about tonight. Well, let's look at it. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. You know, you know what amazes me is so many Christians think this is a new age prayer, a serenity yeah. prayer. It is not new age. It was. A, it's a Christian minister in the 1920s preaching the gospel on a Sunday morning in Detroit. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever and the next. In Christ's name, amen. Does that sound New Age? No. It's not New Age. No. It's inspired of God. You say, well, I New Agers pray that prayer. Yeah, they pray the first paragraph of it. And that's all. God grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. And that's where they stop. But I, I I don't just advocate just a part of it. I advocate the entire prayer. Because praying this thing. And, and where did I get this? I got this from Celebrate Recovery. Uh, and from uh, Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Community Church. Uh, the book called uh, The Purpose Driven Life. That author. He started Celebrate Recovery. And it's really strong in Nashville now. And a lot of people go to it. And that's where I got it. We, we prayed this whole prayer every Friday night up on the, on the thing. That's how I... I learned it. Okay, now, then I went and researched on the web and found the whole prayer again. This is a lot of different places. And this is truly the entire prayer. Now, uh, what God did is he broke this prayer up for me into seven principles. Okay, and look on the back, and here are your seven principles... Because as I study recovery, I am I'm presently recovering from divorce. I'm recovering from worry. I'm recovering from approval addiction. I'm recovering from intemperate eating. I'm recovering from a lot of things. I'm recovering from life's hurts. And I, I, I make this prayer, this prayer is something I pray every morning. I spend at least an hour at it. Now, if you have to go to work, you know you can't. But you can, you can pray one or two principles. But really pray them until you're praying them from your heart. Okay, the first principle is the prince say it with me, the principle of acceptance. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. That's the principle of acceptance. You will not live with regret if you get this principle in operation in your life. Jesus appeared to Norval Hayes one time and talked to him for several hours. And he said to him, he said, I don't want any of my children living in regret. I died so they wouldn't have to live in regret. Praise God. Praise God. When you have guilt, depression, if only I had not of, I should not have. If only I did not do this or that. Dear friend, brother, sister, let me tell you, you are not living by the principle of acceptance. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. What are the things I cannot change? Everything in the past. I cannot change anything in the past. The past has passed. I do not live in the past. I I only have by God. I am not eternal as he is so that he can move over in every dimension. Jesus is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world and he's in heaven in the future and he's a lamb who's freshly killed, standing. Mm -hmm. A freshly killed lamb standing. Mm -hmm. A freshly killed anything doesn't stand. (laughs) (laughs) Revelation chapter 5, it's right there in your Bible. Okay. Uh, It's been a a little while since I've preached so I'm taking my liberty tonight. Hallelujah. <laughs> OK, now, now I, w- I, w- I want you to pl- please hear me. The principle of acceptance is, "I recognize that God has only given me the present tense of time. He hasn't given me the future. I don't know tomorrow. My, I will not boast myself about tomorrow, for I do not know what a day may bring forth. James 4:10. I don't know about tomorrow. I have no power over tomorrow, and I have no power over the past. If only I hadn't done that. If only I hadn't married her. If only I hadn't bought that. Why did I do that stupid thing? Okay, this is how condemnation, regret, guilt lingers on. And Jesus doesn't want you to have it. He died so you could live regret free. Isaiah 53.10 I will bear their iniquities with the guilt, says the Lord. Okay, now, secondly, the principle, so, so come to a place of acceptance. If you were raped as a child like I was at 9.5 times in one week by my older cousin at the age of 7, and he was 17, you come to a place where you accept it. I was a victim. You get to where you accept the things that happened to you. If your father was abusive, you get to a place where you accept it. Because most of us spend our entire lives regret, not most of us, some of us, those of us who, like me, had an abused childhood. We spend so much of our adult lives going back every day, wishing, trying to wish it away, pretending it never happened. Friend, if you're ever going to get serenity, you have to accept the past. Not only things that you've done, but things that have been done to you, over which you were powerless. You have to accept it. Say the principle of acceptance. The principle. Now pray this prayer. Mean it with all your heart. God grant me the serenity, me the serenity. to accept the things I cannot change. Accepting. I cannot change the, past. Cannot change. the past, past. The past is past. I accept it. I accept. Good, bad, and ugly. Good, bad, and I accept good. it all accept as it all. lessons to learn from yes. and to grow by. Okay. Then number two, the principle of responsibility. God grant me on each one of these. Say, God grant me the courage to change the things I can. The courage to change the things I can. Okay, I can't change yesterday. I can't change tomorrow. I can change today. today. So just for today, today, I I choose to exercise. I choose to limit my intake of food. I choose to. I choose not to worry I choose to trust God I choose to be unafraid I choose to make wise decisions I choose to live a godly life I have the power of choice and I have God by your help the courage to change the things I can and through Christ I can do all things I can change my today change through, God my through God working in me. I, I cooperate what He initiates. Okay. He initiates. Then the third principle, the principle of reality and the wisdom to know the difference. That's the principle of reality. See, before I can have the peace of God in my life, I can't be in fantasy land. Too many charismatic people and Pentecostal people, they live in a fantasy land uh they're often daydreams and prophecies and utopias and what ifing and wishing for tomorrow and the great revival's coming i know some people all they do is talk there's a great revival coming there's a great revival coming listen the, the rule of god is already here and if you will work on it you can have peace right now you don't have to wait for another toronto you don't have to have a pensacola i know pastors in nashville oh god's going to show up here in nashville there's going to be a pensacola here no, no, there's always going to be Nashville there. <laughs> <laughs> There'll never be Pensacola in Nashville. It's only Pensacola in Pensacola. It's only Toronto in Toronto. Come on, is that right? Yes. But, the, but Jesus is Lord right now. And right now today I choose to take responsibility over my life and I choose to live in reality so I can discern the difference between, I, between what I am capable of changing and what I am incapable of changing and I choose to accept what I can't change and I choose to work on what I can. Praise God. People come up to me and they say, Man, you look great. Wow, you've lost weight or something like that. How did you do it? Oh, I just, an angel came to me, tapped me on the head, and it all melted. <laughs> you know, people talk about this, this anointing out in California. It makes people drain the fat off their bodies. This one lady lost 30 pounds in one day. Well, oh, praise God, I lost 30 pounds in about two months. Then I lost 80 pounds in about two years. Praise God. Do you know what's better? What gives you more feeling of accomplishment? Is when you lose it gradually and through discipline by exercising, by eating right. Yes, praise God by not being a pig. God puts a glutton right next to a drunkard in the book of Proverbs. You know, church doesn't have a lot of drug addicts and alcohol addicts, but we sure got a lot of food addicts and sex addicts and fantasy addicts, TV addicts. People say to me, have you seen this show, that show, that I hardly ever watch TV. Man, how how can you hardly ever watch TV? TV. Well, I hardly ever watch any TV program. Every now and then I'll catch something. but A lot of time I never watch it. A lot of time I go different days without watching the news. I'm not a news junkie anymore. I'm not addicted to it. I used to be. But you know what? I'm powerless over what's going on in the world. I can pray. I read the headlines on the internet. Pray. But I'm powerless over that. Everything's under God's control. I want to make sure I am. I got to work on me. I can't, guess what, I can't fix my mom. She needs fixing, but she's 76 and she hasn't fixed herself yet, right? She hasn't cooperated with God to let him fix her in some areas. She's a worry addict, an approval addict, okay? The apple doesn't fall far, far, far from the tree. I love my dear mother, but that's true. I can't fix mom. I can't fix my sisters. I can't fix my children. Have you ever noticed that children do what they want to do? (laughs) I can pray, but guess what? I don't worry. I don't worry about my son. Since I stopped worrying, he's made a 180-degree turnaround. Mm -hmm. I don't worry about him. He's God's problem. Hallelujah, guess what? So am I. I'm God's problem. How long has God been at this? How big is God? He's big enough. Say he's big enough. enough. Yeah, he's big enough. So the principle of reality, the wisdom of the difference. Then the principle of now. And I love this part of the prayer. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. So much of us go through our daily lives thinking about what we've got to do the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next week. We're always thinking ahead. But coming back into right now, At this very moment, I'm standing in the Murrays' home. I'm teaching a Bible class here to this church, Destiny Church. Pastor Donna's right here. My old friend Scott is right there. Praise God. I'm standing right here. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm living one day at a time. Right now, I'm enjoying one moment at a time. Praise God i'm enjoying this moment how many of you are enjoying this moment so you see a lot of us never give ourselves permission until the weekend not to be stressed but we're too blessed to be stressed hallelujah jesus never was stressed except in the garden of gethsemane according to the bible he was never stressed even when he wept over jerusalem it wasn't stress It was compassion. There's a difference. Jesus never lost his peace. How many of you see what I'm trying to say tonight? Praise God. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. Now the principle of suffering, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. You know, I just got to wake up and smell the coffee. How many of you has your life gone just the way you thought it would the last 10 years? Ten years ago, when you looked ahead in the future, how many of us are always trying to be clairvoyant? How, how many psychics and clairvoyants and prophets do we have here? You know, whatever you call yourself, you try to see your future. How many of you try to see your future? We all do. How many of you, the, 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 ten years ago, this past ten years, when anything like you saw it ten years ago? Not one of us. So why do we keep on planning the next ten years? <laughs> What is insanity? (laughs) It's doing the same thing that didn't work last time, again, hoping for a different result. That's insanity. How many of us are insane? (laughs) I am. I am insane. That's insanity, Fred. Yes. Okay, so I I refuse insanity because I accept hardship as a pathway to peace. Hallelujah. Life is difficult. All of life involves suffering in some way. There are are dimensions. Paul spoke of the fellowship of the suffering of Christ. He said he wanted to know that fellowship so he could enjoy the power of his resurrection. Philippians chapter 3. Okay, the principle of powerlessness. Oh, I love this principle. I pray this one all the time. Taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Non-controlling. I do not control other people. You are free to be you around me. If you want to cuss, you're free to cuss. If you want to praise the Lord, you're free to praise the Lord. I have no control over you. I do not try to control you. I choose to love you. Everyone I meet, I choose to love. On the airplane this morning, I loved on a little boy sitting next to me, and he was just thrilled and tickled with (laughs) our spirit was communicating together. Praise God. Every human heart can sense love when it's projected. Earlier, sitting, talking to a, a young man on his way to New York City. Uh, once again, I just loved on him. Didn't try to change him. Just loved on him. Next thing I know, he's opening his heart to me. It happens every day in my life when I get around people. Because I choose to be powerless over people. You see, what, what, what people are always trying to do is impose their will on you. Get you to buy this, do this, do the other. Get you, get you to conform to what they want. People are pulling on you constantly. And when they do this, it drains you emotionally. And that's when you come in from work and you're just, oh, what are you saying? I've been, I've been pulled out. Uh, my emotional energies have been pulled out of me. Okay? Uh, but the, the way to do it is become powerless. See, this is the paradox of Christianity. When we're weak, we're strong. When we die, we live. When we have nothing, we possess all things. When we're poor, we make many rich. Praise God. That's what Paul says there to the Corinthians. When we're poor, he said it's, it's poor yet making many rich. As unknown and yet well known. This is a holy paradox. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak in me, I'm strong in him. So the principle of powerlessness is taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Okay, disciples came there in John 6. They said, Master, uh, you you just gave a hard saying, and a lot of the crowds leave it. He said, unless we eat your flesh and drink your blood, we can't have your life, and that's cannibalism, and no self-respecting Jew believes in that. And look how they, they said this is a hard saying. Who can who can who can follow it? And they, they, they many turned away and didn't follow him anymore. And what did Jesus do? Oh, please don't leave! I was actually speaking about the Eucharist, the Communion, which is going to happen after I die on the cross. Oh. Is that what he did? No. Was he was an approval addict? No. no. What did he do? He looked at his disciples and said, do you want to go too? Do you want to go too? How did Peter respond in another gospel? Lord, where can we go? You have the words of life. Hallelujah. No one talks like you. (laughs) Where can we go? Praise God. Do you see, Fred? The principle of powerlessness. When I'm confronted with a problem, instead of looking to myself for the solution, I look to God. I admit I'm powerless over it. I'm powerless over what people will think about me. I'm powerless over whether or not you will like this message. I'm powerless over whether or not you will benefit from it. I'm powerless. In the moment, I stay powerless. Because when I'm, I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's the paradox of Christianity. It's true. Then the principle of surrender. And this is my favorite principle. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. And on this one, I spend a lot of time because I have things every day I have to surrender to his will. There are people I have to surrender. There are mean letters. I, every day I get mean letters. Nasty calls I get from people. Uh, I, get, I get judged by everybody as though I had done something wrong. You know, the good thing about this go-around, Don, is that 20 years ago is I'm innocent. <laughs> 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 Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah, you know. And I rejoice. It isn't true. Praise God. Everything I've heard about me, my goodness. I I just rejoice it isn't true. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus was lied about. Was Joseph lied about? What did Potiphar's wife do when he did not compromise? She lied. What did the people do? They believed her instead of him. What happened to Joseph? He went to prison 14 years. Then the scripture says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. And I'm not saying that you won't go through hard times like a lot of preachers do. Most evangelists spend a lot of time telling you how to get an easy way out of life. I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a hard time, but but here's the good thing, is the Lord will be with you in it. And He will deliver you out of every trial. He will deliver you out of every tribulation. He knows how to change adversity back into prosperity. He knows how to change and give you favor with people. And, and But you won't even care because you're seeking His favor. You seek first His righteousness, His rule, His reign. And all these things will be added to you after the devil has come as a thief and stolen them. God is going to turn right around and add them back. All these things shall be added. Say it. All All these these things shall be added. But the main thing is I'm going to increase in peace. Praise God. Now, I would like to... to, And then the goal is the end result of recovery. What What is the goal of all of these principles being worked in me? That I might live, what? That I might be reasonably happy in this life. Reasonably happy. And supremely happy with you forever in the next. In Christ's name, amen supremely happy with you forever in the next will we be supremely happy with god forever in the next yes it's a given we have eternal life it's a gift of god but will we be reasonably happy in this life most christians no most christians know oh what needless pain we bear most christians do not ever enjoy the inheritance jesus died to give them of his peace Father, I thank You for Your Word tonight. I ask You to seal it now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, receive His Word into your heart. Now repent of worrying. Has the Holy Spirit put His finger on something tonight? Say, Lord, I bring that to You and I repent of it. Hallelujah. Father God, I thank You. Increase our peace and let us enjoy our inheritance. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Destiny Spirit Church or additional teaching CDs or training events, please visit our website at www.destinyspirit.com or you can write to us at Destiny Spirit Church, P.O. Box 15252, Chesapeake, Virginia. 23328 Thank you